this year, just about everyone's coming out with a brand new small car. So this year, just about everyone will be telling you about this great new idea to think small. It is a great idea. We at Volkswagen have been working on it for 21 years. how to be big and what I mean by that is do you know how to be big how to operate your team or your company or your strategy or your life when it gets successful how not to get tripped up when you're you know bigger than you are today do you know how to be big this is a question we don't get to answer very often and it's because of two reasons the first is we don't get asked that often it's considered like a duh kind of question. You know, it's assumed by us and everyone around us that once we get there, we'll just know. We assume, you know, it's just the same as now. It's just more. It's bigger. And the second reason is because it's also assumed that big is better. It's just more of being what we were. It is what we're all striving for, right? To be bigger? Well, no. Sometimes we know that just being big isn't better. Sometimes our very smallness is what propels us to be innovators and leaders. No one learned this better than the toy company that had the wonderful Josh Baskin as their big employee. Yeah. It, it turns from a building into a robot, right? Precisely. Well, what's fun about that? Well, if you had read your industry breakdown, you would see that our success in the action figure area has climbed from 27% to 45% in the last two years. There, that may help. Oh, I, I still don't get it. What? What don't you get, Jeff? Well, there's a million robots that turn into something. And this is a building that turned into a robot. What's fun about playing with a building? That's not any fun. This is a skyscraper. Well, couldn't it be like a, a, a robot that turns into, into something like a, like a bug or something? Bug. Yeah. Big. Like a big prehistoric is different. insect with maybe like giant claws. It's bigger. Big is when you can afford things. Big is when you're ahead of the game and you can take some risks. But it's also when you're the head of marketing in that startup and you don't know the details of the strategy your team is working on. Big is when your job is making decisions about the people that will make the decisions. Big is when you're the CEO of that cool, hip agency and one day you don't know everyone's name. And you're not doing the work anymore. Big is when words like process happen and when we're talking about who owns the initiative and where the priorities are and which meetings will determine the other meetings and we start talking about things that don't really sound like the things we used to do when we were smaller. And this is the point. Usually, we actually don't know how to be big. In the startup world, there are CEOs and sales and marketing and product people who specialize at different sizes. The startup with 10 people and $0 of revenue hires a very different VP of sales and or marketing than the one who needs to manage 100 reps and take the company IPO. But this is true in a much more micro-level tool. As content and marketing become a much bigger piece of what we do in business, it can go from three people in the corner trying to figure out stuff to a 40-person department running a multi-million dollar publication, and that can happen fast. One of the biggest challenges you'll hear of any startup, any marketing strategy, or any content program is, how will you scale it? A key question you need to ask yourself is, how will you scale you? Because candidly, the answer may be, you won't. Getting big almost always means that things change. If you love the work, getting big may remove you from it. If you relish the flatness of your team's decision-making, getting big may put a big pressure on that. If you're feeling overloaded, getting bigger may change that, or it may not. And that pressure, that overload, that desire to keep the work, to keep you the size you are, well, it can often prevent big from happening altogether. So the key is to be aware. Be aware of the bigness, and don't be afraid of it. But know if it's for you. Bigger isn't always better for the company, or especially for you. It might be the challenge you've been waiting for, and you're ready to adapt right into it. Or it might be the path to a big new job that you're not really that interested in. 
And that's the theme of our show today, learning how to be big or deciding that you're better off smaller. It's all in understanding just where your imagination, your hopes and dreams meet the reality of where you are in your life. Now it's time for us to meet the reality of our life and kick off our big show this week. You could say our little podcast is a small medium at large. You could say we excel at the news and stories. You ready for the supersized side of PNR? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 196 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, August 14th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co host, my colleague, my friend, and the biggest thing in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not the biggest thing. The biggest thing in content marketing is happening in three weeks. That's content correct. marketing world. But there would yeah. be no content marketing world without you. Well, um, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that, Sir Robert. You, I think that you, somebody else you, would you have done it. You think somebody else would have done it? Yes, I do. Who? I think. Who? I, well, Who? I don't know. I want names. I want names and I want phone numbers because I need to call them for a job. I don't know. <laughs> it would probably be called branded content world. Oh, there we and go. And something like that. Yes. Or it wouldn't be called custom publishing world or custom media <laughs> world. That doesn't work very well. But. Yeah, I mean, are we, well, it we only generally... sounds good now because it you you it became the thing, right? Content marketing world became the thing. If it had become custom publishing world, that you know that sounds pretty cool. Custom publishing world, that's you know, if you go back to twenty oh eight and we said let's call it custom publishing and make it custom publishing world, I thought I didn't know whether or not content marketing was going to be the term until two thousand seven. I mean, in two thousand five six when I was. You know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do and whether to start CMI and all that kind of stuff. The first name for the business was CustomPublishers.com. Did you know that? I, I didn't know that. I, I have, do know that you failed to register ContentMarketing.com, and I bought it. I know. And, and owned it. Which is um, really strange, by the way. That And then you and, you know, the two of us ran, you know, ran into each other in Chicago right. at that event. Yeah. And the whole thing was just meant to be. But yeah. I should send it to you. I should actually post it somewhere. I have a wonderful logo that Brent DeWitt created for me called publishers dot, uh, CustomPublishers.com. And and then as soon as it was done, I was like, Custom Publishing is not going to be the term. That's just silly. It's going to be something <laughs> else. And that's when we really started to make the move into, <clears throat> into content marketing. And then the first blog post, April Twenty sixth, two thousand seven. Why content marketing? Question mark. That was my first blog post. That's and history was made, folks. And that that is. And then you and I it. ran to each other, and all kinds of shenanigans ensued. Oh my goodness gracious! Yes, and it, I said, all... "What about an event? We should yeah. do an event. We should, do, we should do an event, and we should do it in Cleveland." And we should do it at a fancy hotel that has tons of gilded frames all over the place. And looks like it like looks like eighteen ninety five spat up all over the place. Oh, I love the run. It still looks the same. It's that's the, the <laughs> as Renaissance it did in eighteen ninety five or whatever. It's exactly the same. The Renaissance. For those of you who don't know, that's where we held Content Marketing World two thousand eleven at the Renaissance Hotel, connected to Tower City, connected to the Jack Casino. Uh, right downtown Cleveland, beautiful downtown. That's not Cleveland. a selling point, by the way. But yeah, move along. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm so terrible because I love Cleveland so uh, much. I'm, I love Cleveland I'm too. Such but, a Cleveland uh, but homer. The casino is not my favorite part of Cleveland. No, no, no. But it's yeah. the only casino that I've ever been to that's multiple stories. Every other casino I've been to is flat. It's just one, you know, flat, like just everyone, yeah, everything sure. you go to in Vegas, you don't go <clears> up <throat> to the poker room or down to the blackjack area. That's it's right. It's just sprawling and you can never find your way out. At the Jack Casino downtown, it's true. It's three floors, four floors, the buffet's yeah. on the bottom floor. 
So I don't know why I even brought that up, but <laughs> it is. Anyways, before we get to the uh, before yeah. we get to the news, just a reminder: use PNR one hundred to get a hundred dollars off for contentmarketingworld.com. The Joseph it's Gordon Levitt. Well, the Joseph Gordon Levitt announcement last week just took off. Everyone's super excited, and I got to tell you this because I think it's funny. Uh, on the Content Marketing World Facebook post posted about JGL and how he's coming. We're all excited. And somebody posted, I didn't know Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in the content marketing business. And of course, I had to reply, well, he does run his own media company. I mean, it's like, what do you, like, why, first of all, why would you say that? Second of all, you don't know him. If you're making that comment, you just don't know. You don't know me. You don't. You only think, think you, you do. you know me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, God. Okay. Anyone listening? Can you name the movie? Can you name the movie? You don't know me. You only, you only think, think you, you know do. me. <laughs> what's, what's the part in Get Shorty where he talks about you could be a screenwriter? You just take, add, to, add the commas and the... You just take all the commas away and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You just get somebody to fix all your commas and capitalization. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Robert and I and, and Joe Kalinowski, our creative director, we go back and forth on Get Shorty references all the time. Yeah. So. It's a classic. It is. It's a, it is. It is a classic. Should we move to the news? Yes, let's, let's do that. All right. We're going to open, folks, with our new segment, of course, which is our quick hits, where we take a look at some of the bigger headlines that uh, came up over the last week and just give you our quick take on where we stand with them. So this covers everything from social media to marketing to world news to whatever we feel like looking at that we think you should be looking at. Um, our first story of the week comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. And dun, dun, dun. By the way, this whole week was just a cornucopia of news. There's oh lots goodness. and lots to yes. talk about this week. Um, Facebook has decided to launch a YouTube competitor called Watch. Um, the article opens up by saying, for the many digital publishers who have been shifting their focus to video content, Facebook's uh, new Watch video platform is a site for sore eyes. Is it really? Really? <laughs> okay, anyway. Many of those media companies poured resources into online video in the hopes that big advertising budgets will follow, but it has been harder to realize those ambitions without the second of the two big tech giants fully in the marketplace. Now Facebook, with its two billion users, with a B, folks, is open for business, joining rival YouTube, and it is taking the risk out of the content creation in Denver, uh, endeavor for many publishers, either paying to offset their production costs or offering to license or buy their content outright people familiar with the arrangement say so what say you mr polizzi is this uh is this what do you think about the new watch service oh i mean i don't think this is unexpected at all for facebook to do this i would say well all these we talked about it five shows ago where we talked about when's facebook gonna watch their launch their tv network we talked about this and we had no inside information yeah no uh, it just we yeah. knew it was coming uh i would say <laughs> well all these publishers are throwing time, effort, resources, money, whatever you want to call at this thing. Brands should just sit back and let them do it. That's and right. Let them work it all out and just watch the folly. And we'll see. Like, I don't know if this is going to be another YouTube. I don't know if this is going to be successful. Frankly, I don't care right now. I don't care until I see some results. What I did think was interesting, I don't know if you caught this, but the in the Wall Street Journal article, there's right in the middle of the article, it says, and this is from uh, from the Jack Marshall is the, the key right, uh, author of this. But there are some potential pitfalls for Facebook if it can't deliver the big audiences marketers envision or if users are able to easily skip through ads. There's no conversation in any of this about brands, marketers being able to create their own content. Right. This is all a very traditional model that we've always seen. And I just can't believe that it wasn't even mentioned in the article that, oh, maybe marketers don't have to buy advertising. Maybe that's not what the measurement is. Maybe they could actually leverage the platform to build an audience. Maybe that's what it is. Not that I would do that with Facebook, but I can't believe they didn't even come up with it. That was my Well, that's concern. the so, – yeah, my quick take on this is that I, I – this is a very different platform from YouTube. So we need to just, under, at least at launch, it is, right? What we're talking about here is a, just as you mentioned, a very classic 
um, you know, programmed channel, right? So this is a, you know, you can't just stick a video up here, right? This is, this is about a programmed channel where Facebook is going to invite media players into the fold and do classic ad breaks on this programming. And you can buy, I'm, I'm assuming you can buy media space. You could buy the 30 second or 15 second. Yeah, or whatever it's just like, it is it's just like another NBC, CBS, ABC. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and then they're going to basically give the programmer here, whoever, buy, uh, you know, whether they buy the program or they'll uh, give you a 50%, basically it's, I think it's a 55% uh, of all the revenue that they get from the ad break itself. So this is very much, I think, in experimental uh, mode right now for, for Facebook. I think it feeds into a very interesting thing though, which is Facebook understanding that they're very quickly going to be competing for that over-the-top audience. Um, and you know, I just looked at, I'm reading a tech crunch article as we speak here and I'm looking at some of the shows that they're actually, uh, that they're actually programming. There's a whole list. Uh, we'll put this in the show notes. We'll put this, a uh, tech crunch article in the show notes too, but it's like taste maids, kitchen little, a cooking show that sees kids how to watch a uh, creator how to recipe. Um, they'll have major league baseball. They'll have Mike Rowe. They'll have, uh, Nas daily, which is a vlogger. Um, they've got Gabby Bernstein, another motivational speaker. Yeah, it's a lot of programming. Um, yeah, they've got a you know it's a very wide array of programming, but it very much looks like a niche cable network, right? To me, is what it looks like. It looks like a you know kind of a Discovery Network meets you know TLC. Yeah, not going ESPN. too. Yeah, like reality show. Don't go too deep. That's right. Very cheap programming. Trying it out, seeing if it's seeing if people will watch it. Um, and I think they're, they're, you know, they're throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall right now and we're just going to see what sticks and, and we'll see. This is where Google try has tried this. You know, they launched some shows on YouTube red and quite frankly have not done terribly well with it, but it's, you know, it's early days. It's very early days of this stuff. So I think it's interesting. Well, and they do say in the last paragraph that Facebook has indicated it is willing to commit to production budgets as high as $3 million per episode when they're reaching out to the creative agencies. So that's right. That's right. I mean, and so I think, willing, and by the and way, by the way I'm, that's I'm doing, some, I'm, I'm doing some research into this, but I believe that money is the money that they're spending for this content. I believe, and I'm going to double check this. I believe that money is going to be put onto where the marketing, marketing line, but marketing line. So I know. You talk, take that. With you your talked about that last week. Soup. I know. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Our next, uh, our next quick take here, and this is another big story that came out of the uh, the content world. Uh, Netflix gets into the comic book business by acquiring Miller World. A big hat tip here, by the way, to Buddy Scalera, our resident comic book hero, writer, illustrator, and all things just wonderful good guy, uh, sent this over to us via the email address. Actually, um, the what we'll link to in the show notes. We're going to pair this story with a couple of things because Netflix was just all over the news last week. Comicsbeat.com is what we'll link to in the show notes that talks about the acquisition of Miller World um, and said, Netflix has announced the purchase of Miller World, the comic book line started by Mark Miller, and they've produced titles like Wanted, Jupiter's Legacy, Kick-Ass, uh, and a few more. Kingsman is another one that, they've, that they're also responsible for. So this is, I think, uh, and what we'll pair with, and then I want to get your take on this, Joe, with, about this, is that Disney, this also last week, said that they're going to pull all their movies from Netflix and start its own streaming service. So what do you think about the Miller World acquisition, and what do you think about Disney? Well, the, it's funny. The Miller World acquisition I found out from my son. I guess it was fairly uh, active on Reddit. So he's like, did you hear about this? I'm like, oh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it on the show. And fair enough. Here we are. But uh, I think what this means is that we are seeing the golden age right now for content creators because they are going to be sopped up with a biscuit here. You're going to see, this is just the start. (laughs) That's the title of the show. There's the title of the show this week. Content uh, creators will be sopped up with a biscuit. (laughs) This is going to get crazy. You're going to have Netflix and Facebook and Amazon. They're all buying rights to great episodic content. Yes, and and where and then in this case, there is a, a lot of really good franchises associated with uh, Miller World, and they, they could create all kinds of things. Oh, it's amazing! With this. I mean, and, this is the this is them buying Marvel, right? This is their the equivalent yes. of them buying Marvel, um, which is you know the the number of series, movies, et cetera, they can create over the properties that are included in Miller World are incredible. It's just incredible. So I think, and so that's. 
that's what I thought with that one. I'm like, wow, we are really going to see a lot of M&A activities happening in this area. Yeah. The Disney pulling its movies from Netflix, I mean, again, you and I talked about it. We were talking about the other day about ESPN's going to create their own video streaming service. Of course, that's been announced. Uh, we, you know, Disney pulling their movies so that they can create the, this competitive streaming service. The, I get it. Totally get it. And it may be successful. But I also think it could be short-sighted in a manner that Disney generates a lot of additional maybe even more revenue from outside merchandising and other products of its movies. So if you if Disney says, oh, we're going to pull back, and let's say that Disney does gather an audience on their own platform, but it's a, it could be a smaller audience. So you could make the case that they're going to monetize that directly, or it might make more sense for them to distribute that content in different ways on Netflix and other programs or and, and other uh, comp- company sites so that they can have more opportunities to build fans and more opportunities to monetize those fans. That's what I thought of. And I'm like, I don't know if anybody's thinking about that. I get why they're doing it. I get why Iger came out and did this. Totally makes sense to me. But I don't know if it's going to work because of that reason. I totally think you're right. I think I think it's, you know, there was an analyst that came out and said, too little, too late. Um, and <laughs> you know, and, and I think you know, on the pulling back, pulling the content out of Netflix, I again, I totally get it. Um, but you know, starting your own streaming service, we'll see. You know, the thing with Disney content is that it already had; they don't lack for distribution, right? I mean, they've got you know, they, they've they, there's there, there's no lack of distribution methods that they've got. So pulling pulling out of Netflix is a small hit. For Disney, a very small hit. But for it Disney. could be this, yes. But it could be the start of a walled garden for them. It could be. It, it could be the. It, but it won't. They. Could, I think just to your point, they're not going to. They're not going to pull out of what they're doing in broadcast television or online or anything like that. They're only going to try and supplement with a streaming service that. That um, you know they probably looked at the total numbers of you know what their licensing deal was with Netflix and I'm sure Netflix didn't tell them how much stuff was downloaded but they probably have pretty decent estimates of what how many times their stuff was watched on Netflix and said we could do that on our own and it's still not going to be a huge hit you know and in fact will people will find the content elsewhere they'll find it on HBO or Showtime yep. or you know any other co- you know over the top service they won't Look, because net, they see Netflix moving toward this original content programming, which is going to deprecate all of the licensed content that Netflix, you know, also has. So it's only going to get lower from here. You know what I mean? There, in, in, in an interesting thing, Netflix is facing the same thing that brands are in Facebook. Right? They're getting pushed lower in the algorithm because Netflix is increasing the pro, you know, the the, the prominence all, of their original programming, and so it's only going right. to push down the the stuff from Disney. As a, as a as a means to so so I think this is a small hit for Disney. You know, Netflix hit stock took a little bit of a hit, but it's interesting to me is that you're already seeing Netflix swing back here. Just today, I saw a note that Shonda Rhimes, a very very popular TV producer, um, made a deal with Netflix. So Netflix is like, sure, take your movies, we'll take your talent, take your right? Because Shonda Rhimes, of course, works for ABC creating all these hit TV series. And of course, ABC is owned by Disney. And so they'll take the, you know, and that's quite just exactly to your point of getting it sopped up with a biscuit. It's the talent. It's the talent that matters. These, all these contracts will ultimately distribution contracts will ultimately sort of evaporate. And what will be left are the talented people who can create the content. And that's where the real investment is going. And so I I very much like what Netflix is doing. I understand what Disney is doing, and 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 I think it's a smart move by both companies. Well, I I think a lot of people uh, don't know Disney as well as I do, and you know this. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, and I can see they're setting up. This is a perfect setup for so so it makes it look that if much more Apple appealing to Apple. Buying no, okay. it makes it look that much more appealing to <laughs> Apple. You know this is true. You know this is the way they're going to oh set it up God. because they all this is this is the video version of i this is the video version of iTunes. It's going to be all wrapped up for Disney. They're going to do, they're going to say plug it right in and off we go. No, they're not. <laughs> so, but but you just keep you just keep going there, my friend. You just keep going there. You are going to you are going to feel so horrible when it happens. Uh, I know. I'm going to feel awful. How long do I have to wait? <laughs> That's my question. I told you it wouldn't be for a while. These things don't yeah. happen overnight. 
You uh, have to. It goes in waves. We're going to be on episode four thousand nine hundred and eighty-seven. I'm going to, Joe. When did when did Disney <laughs> finally finally do it? When did they sell to Apple? <laughs> I don't know why I became like a New York guy. With, I don't uh, know why. Uh, and, uh, but, it sound uh, like you're trapped in a box. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Our final quick take yeah. is from Google. Um, I told you we had a lot of news this folks uh, this week, folks. Uh, Google reportedly offered $30 billion to acquire Snapchat. Um, this article comes courtesy of TechCrunch. Um, and it says, Nerdy Google has failed at social time and time again. So it's considered buying teen sensation Snapchat. The search giant held informal talks with Snap and floated an offer of $30 billion in 2016 before Snap's last funding round. Um, this was a leak that came out uh, just last week as we watch Snap slipping uh, to around $15 billion, maybe $10 billion or even lower in terms of valuation. What did you think, Mr. Investor Guy? Well, right now, just to give you the up to minute, uh, this is Monday as we're recording. The snap has been all over the place today because the lockout period is ending for a lot of their initial investors. Uh, right now, as I speak, it's $12 and 50 cents. It's up 67 cents today. It went down to 1128 and went up to 1315. Yeah. So it has been, it's just a crazy day. Um, so it looks like, you know, the valuation is going to end up, you know, between 14 and 16 billion. Whatever, whatever you the case is. So this is keeping this kind of offer, if it is true, which it probably is. Uh, it's keeping Snap up afloat. The challenge is, if you look at the numbers, their earnings came out last week. They it lost, was horrible. Well, it was a train wreck. Um, well, they lost four hundred forty-three million uh, during the quarter. That was more than expected. Revenue rose <laughs> one hundred eighty-one million from seventy-one million. So yeah. that's that's. Pr- I mean, that's amazing growth. The problem is, it's, it was only a four percent increase in uh, daily active users. Right. This is the thing that kills me. So this was from Market Watch. J.P. Morgan said uh, they are uh, they're having a more difficult time making money from advertising than anticipated. <laughs> That's uh, listen to surprising this, absolutely no one who this has been keeping a, well, up with this, this is, marketplace. It obviously surprised surprised a lot of investors. Yeah. So this is it's very difficult to monetize this type of social media traffic, and you know I don't know where it's going to be. I I I think the number's probably around twenty billion to buy Snap right now, but the, they're having trouble growing outside North America at the same time when you have Tencent and Alibaba that are really growing their international presence. If Snap just becomes a North America millennial and younger uh, company. It's it needs to sell now, like it. I don't know if you can. I don't. I don't know how they can grow into that valuation. Looking at the numbers right now, and if yeah. I'm a, and so let's take it to a marketer standpoint. If I'm a marketer, I don't know if I want to put down that much money because I don't know if Snap and its its current existence is going to be a thing. I think Snap is is built an audience, and they need to find a way to monetize that quickly in a different manner than advertising. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. Uh, you know, and 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 here we are talking about them as a social network and trying to grow their social network presence. When, of course, they've come out and said that they're really not a social network. They're actually a product company, and they're going to make sunglasses and products and cameras and all sorts of things. So, I, I still think it's a very fuzzy business model to me, and, and that they have not decided and really s- stepped on the gas of how they're going to monetize their audience. You know, we've talked it ad nauseum on this show about how we thought it was a really interesting idea to build this audience and now monetize. I mean, they followed the content take model, but they seem to be really stumbling with, with either making a commitment or, you know, figuring out how to, you know, well, that's not true. I, let the, me take that back because if you look at the revenue per subscriber, they're actually doing really well. The, well, the, it's a, they're not doing poorly. The problem right. is the expectations are so high. That 181 that, million from 71 million is pretty darn good. I mean, I think yeah. we would all take that. The the problem is is that everyone's expecting the next Facebook, and you and I have both said on the record they're not going to be that big. That's right. I, I don't That's a great see point. the I I don't see the 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 strategy to grow that big. Um, the last thing I want to say, maybe, well, and maybe and maybe that's maybe that's the point. Maybe they don't need to be that big. They don't maybe they'll need to. Yeah, they don't right. need to. The problem right. is is that when new investors came in. 
even Google's, I don't, I forgot what the name of Google's venture company is. Their their startup venture that actually put money down into Snap. The valuation of Snap at that time was twenty billion. So that means that they're going to have to sell for more than twenty billion for those last investors that got in to get money. That's, That's a right. long way away. I mean, they were there. I mean, the stock is down significantly, 30, 40% from that point. I don't know if they're going to get there. The only thing I want to say is just, and I'm not a, I'm not a professional investor by any means, but it's important to know that if you invest in Snap stock, you have no voting rights. They're the, the That's right. one of the very yeah. few that you, that you can buy stock into Snap where mo- the majority of the stock is held by Spiegel and the other, uh, the other co-founder, I don't know what the other guy's name is. The the other leadership where you can't vote on a change. Like if somebody came around with a $25 billion offer, well, sorry. You don't get That's any right. say it's, if you're yeah. a shareholder. It's up That's to right. Spiegel. So just throwing that out there. All right. The more you know. Yeah. No, very good. The more you know. The more you know. The, the more, more you know. know. All right, moving into our in-depth news, folks. And I mean, we could literally, this could be a three-hour show with the amount of news that we have to cover. But let's move on to our in-depth coverage here. And the first story that we'll cover in our in-depth segment is from Digiday.com, and it's how Quartz achieved a 90% renewal rate on branded content. This article opens up by saying, Publishers' branded content campaigns have painfully low renewal rates. One way Quartz has managed to buck that trend is by giving technology insights and research to agencies and brands. To formalize this approach, Quartz launched the Quartz Innovation Lab in January, where creative staffers spend a certain portion of their time working on projects like this about every six weeks. The results have helped the creative services team Quartz Creative build deeper relationships with existing clients, including uh, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, uh, sometimes leading to projects that didn't even involve any of Quartz's media or its owned and operated properties. The lab is part of an approach to help brands and agencies that led to a renewal rate of 90% of branded content, nearly three times higher than the industry average. So what say you, Joe? This, is, I, this to me is fascinating because they're combining strategic services, content, and uh, owned media and, 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 and rented media, basically, yeah. to, to really provide for a smart strategy for their clients. Well, you and I found out about this uh, case study a long time ago. That's why uh, we have the publisher of Quartz speaking at Content Marketing World because I want right. to hear the strategy. I think it's really interesting what they're doing, especially from a mobile standpoint. Let's get this it's really important to understand what this article says. This article says that brands are not going to Quartz Creative or Quartz Innovation Lab or whatever you want to call it for the content. They're going for the insights. That's right. It's really important. What does Quartz have that these other companies don't? It's not and even even the Quartz people themselves said they're not coming for the content. They want the information about the audience. Dun, so this dun, is dun. well funny how that works. Exactly out. funny. This is what brands do that haven't yet built their own audience. They go to people with the audience. They try to extract that data. Hopefully, steal portions of that audience so they don't need media companies anymore. That's right. I mean, why do you think that people sponsor so many webinars? I mean, it's we know it. We have sponsors of our webinars. We know exactly what they're doing. They're stealing all all the as much of the audience as they possibly can, and so they can go ahead and launch their own thing down in the future. It's been happening for years. That's the way that it goes. We're at this point though that it's very clear. You met you mentioned it before. Ta- you can get talent. You can get real creative people. It's kind of that race for talent as we go forward. But what brands don't have right now is not the not the opportunity to get talent. It's the opportunity to they're not building audiences. So we're at that point where I don't know what is what is this honeymoon phase to really look at a content as a business model where they're really trying to figure it out. And and this also tells me that we're quite a few years away from this thing actually happening because they're investing so much into courts when they're not at the point they can do it themselves. I just think it's a it's it's a fascinating case study. It really is. I mean, one, it supports something I've been working on all year, which is this you know the valuation of audiences and 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 how that really works. But that's I mean that just it 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 spoke right to it just resonated so much with me when when I heard that what they're providing is sort of a triumvirate of services, which is yes, you can do branded content there, and they'll help you with that. But they'll do that in conjunction with helping you figure out where your audience is on other media platforms 
and helping you understand the insights of their audience, which gives you more insight about how to do your strategy better. So this, if that sounds very much like what an agency should be doing, it is. And the big challenge, of course, is agencies can't do that because why? They don't have the audience either. And so what is the, what is the core valuable thing that we're talking about here? It's access to the audience. And that is, you know, so you can, you can continue to go to companies like Quartz or agencies or other publications and have these wonderful innovative conversations and show up at their offices and do all these things. Or we can do this ourselves. We can build our own owned media properties or buy. I was just looking at Quartz and their publication. Somebody's going to buy this company at some point. So it just, it just makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, true story that I was talking with an agency that had most of their clients in the financial area, and they were thinking about expanding outside of that. And we had the conversation about audiences. That's the one thing they didn't have. And they couldn't become the leading one of the leading financial services agencies, content-oriented agencies, because what you just said, they didn't have yeah. the audience. That's right. So we talked about – we had a really long conversation about them purchasing a, a couple different media companies – that sit right within where their clients are focused on to get that insight, to get that data. Um, boy, it's right. It's right there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's right there in front of you. Somebody Just should do a conference. It. There should Just, be like the, should a, be. like a yearly conference where you get together and hang out and talk about these things. We should call it custom publishing world is what we should call it. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know why not, and more of it's not happening. I know we're seeing it. I mean, I'm excited even yeah. about the news we're covering here. You can see this start to happen. Yeah. You can see what you know Netflix is doing. Oh, wait till you get to my rave this week. It's, oh, it's, well, good. It's, then I'm not going to yeah. steal your thunder. But yeah. anyways, I love this example. Yeah. If, for those of you, you get the show notes. Go ahead and, and read this article. It's worth taking a look at because this is a, very, this is a point in time on the, the marketing uh, timeline where you can sort of circle and say, here's where it's starting. Yeah. Right here. The Absolutely. real focus on audience. So. All right, our last story that we're going to cover in depth this show uh, comes to us courtesy of PubExec.com, a magazine, by the way, I have been really enjoying, I have to say. Um, And the headline here is Turning Audience Development into a Profit Machine. Um, You are the machine. (laughs) I love that bit. Anyway, um, anyway, what if I said to you, you could make $100 for every dollar you spend on audience development? It's possible, but to achieve it, you'll need to change your approach to audience development. For years now, I, meaning the author, has been encouraging publishers to think more like direct marketers. Sound familiar? Wow. That was, I mean, that line just really stood out to me. Anyway, modern direct marketing has made a science out of nurturing cold audiences into warm prospects. I got a hint for this author. They haven't, but you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Into hot leads and finally into paying customers. They use digital tactics to allow them to attract the entire process while measuring the ROI and finding each step in the process. So this author goes on in this article to explain this wonderful new sort of technique, tips, best practices for how he has taken turning audience development for publishers into a profit machine. This is almost the, the in the, you know, bizarro world of Superman, this is basically the opposite article of content marketing, right? This is, this is basically a publisher talking about, here are all the wonderful best practices you can learn from the wonderful things that marketers are doing. And I think it's just fantastic. I, I just think it, there's, there's some great lessons for us to learn in here as marketers going, oh, yeah, this is, this is good. <laughs> so well, I like, what did you think? Well, I like the strategy here specifically because the example that Eric uses, the author, in this article is how you can take warm prospects via social and move them to email and then to paying customers, and specifically email subscriptions. I mean, a lot of this is around paid subscriptions too, but if you really look at it, you could say, how do, if, you're, if you're out there saying, how do I take social media and my followers on social and those who I have access to on social and move them to some kind of a name and email address and then move them to a paying customer through some kind of getting to know them better, moving them uh, from, a, from a warm to a hot lead through an email subscription, 
this is just a great it's just a great method to use it's really really simple you can look at it you can test it obviously that you you talked about at the beginning about sort of paying a hundred dollars in advertising and pay-per-click and just seeing how that works and testing it in certain ways yeah uh, i think this is just something that not not only from what you said is it's sort of the opposite of content marketing but this is something that anyone that trying that's trying to build their email subscription database and create uh buyers from that email database this is a great article yeah if you're looking for some inspiration like you're staring at a blank powerpoint screen right now trying to figure out that new marketing automation new flow for content for your blog and how you might generate leads go read this article i mean because it's just a great it it will inspire you to create it already inspired me it's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna try this i'm gonna actually try this and see if i can you know and, and see if i can take some of these tips and actually make them applicable. It's a really just a great pragmatic applicable approach to 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 generating leads. So, I thought it was great. I thought it was a really wonderful article. You know, the more we re- do the news, the more that publishing and marketing is sort of becoming the oh, same. Oh, you'd like to think maybe the same business? The same. Yeah, bi- right. I think Somebody it's the write same a book about that. business model. If only. If, if only. only if only. Hey, speaking of really smart things where the business model is coming the same, We've got an amazing sponsor to talk about. Absolutely. We love our sponsor, Smartling, and they have another really amazing ebook for you. It's called Translation, a reliable recipe for business growth, uh, sponsored again by our friends at Smartling. According to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, 95% of the world's consumers live outside the United States. <laughs> and, and did you know that? I did not. And <laughs> thank God. And any company pursuing them with English only content is likely limiting its revenue potential. That's for that's for absolute sure. According to Common Sense Advisory, more than 70% of consumers are more likely to buy a product with information listed in their native language than a comparable product without. These realities haven't been lost on the world's leading brands. Digital innovation may have flattened the world, but human language is still the key to forming authentic connections. As a result, any company limiting the conversation to a single language is also severely limiting its growth potential. To really be successful on a global scale, you need to consider localizing localization strategies that suit your audience and elevate your brand presence. And we have a simp- of an awesome download that'll tell you exactly how to do that, including through this ebook called Translation, a reliable recipe for business growth. Uh, some of the factors including understanding revenue potential, gathering your content requirements, assembling the right team, planning the process for localization and translation, and using technology as a competitive advantage. You'll get that and more in this ebook at cmi.media slash pnr196. At cmi.media slash PNR196, also available in the show notes on Saturday. And uh, thank you to our friends at SmartLink for again bringing a quality piece of content for us to talk about, which is so refreshing. So, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, that's the world I, as you know, I came. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And so it's just one of the most complex, hard things to do. And so it's just awesome that they've tackled it here. It's just, you know, if this is, if you work with global content, you've got to figure this out and this is a, it's just a great asset it's just a really wonderful piece of content to help you figure that stuff out. download so it today yes thank you download thank you it and if you download it it helps us too so there you it's go it's a very yep. smartling <laughs> piece of content <laughs> oh god <laughs> stop that t-shirts. up with a biscuit i'm gonna they stop that up with a stop that up with a biscuit yeah. all right folks it is now time for your favorite part of the show it is our rants and rave section where joe and i go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're really big and want to puff out our chests, or if it makes us feel like small and crawling under a snail shell or something like that. Um, let's see. I have this old marketing, so I'm going first. And I have two wonderful raves. I'm super happy that I'm happy this week and I'm not ranting about things. Um, but I just have two awesome raves. Uh, my first will be from, and by the way, huge hat tip here to our own CMI's own Jody Harris, who sent this over via the email address. So thank you, Jody. This was just, this made my heart sing. So Joe, as you know, I have been working this diligently over the last four or five months, my big summer project, as I want to do every summer on on audiences. And it'll be the topic of my workshop. It'll be the topic of masterclasses. It's going to be the topic of my keynote at Content Marketing World is the value of audiences. And this just really spoke right to it and, and also speaks to something else that I'm passionate about, which, of course, is pets and, and dogs and stuff. And so Time, Inc., 
Um, a company that has seen its fair share of trouble of late has launched a new site called Pet Hero. Um, now, that wouldn't normally be that big a news, and it wouldn't be that big a deal. Um, but the way they did this and what they're doing with this is, is and just exactly, just sort of segues nicely from our, from our Quartz uh, chat just a bit ago. So the article, which we'll, of course, link to in the show notes, comes from Digiday. And it says, Time hopes to use its consumer data to learn new tricks. On August 7th, the publisher plans to announce the launch of Pet Hero, a program where for $20 a month, members can get... In addition to pets and toys and products, discounts on health care for pets. Pet Hero, the first business oriented around services rather than content that Time has launched under new CEO Rich Batista, is part of a shift by the company to mine its audience data for new business opportunities. I'm going to read that last sentence again because it's really important. This new model that Time Inc. has launched under the new CEO is a shift by the company to mine its audience data for new business opportunities. So basically, they looked at their owned media audience, that which they had. They tested this with their owned media audience about what kind of service that might sound like a book that you heard or read by this guy, Joe Polizzi, called the Content Inc. model, took that owned media audience, looked at the data, and are using this data to sell this new audience, other kinds of products and services. In other words, they're monetizing it in a different way other than advertising. By the way, the article then goes on to say that they're going to monetize it with advertising too, but they're creating multiple lines of value by looking at this audience, cross-pollinated across all sorts of different um, publications that they had, 130 million current and former customers, and they've got information like address and credit card information, and other kinds of online data that it can mine pull that data out, find the ones that are most liable to buy and subscribe to this kind of service where you can get discounts on pet stuff, healthcare for your pets, all sorts of stuff. They do a brand extension, basically increase their average revenue per user. And if that doesn't sound familiar, we just talked about it with Snapchat, with Facebook, with Google, with everybody we're talking about. And it's just them creating a content property using their audience and being able to monetize it in different ways. And it's just a fantastic case study. I wish them nothing but success. I think it's, it's a fantastic idea. That's brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Um, my second, it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, so that was my, Anyway, I can get off on something else there. Um, the uh, uh, the next one, it's a very quick rave. I just wanted to talk about it briefly because I'm having such a good time with it, <laughs> especially if you're a geek like me. Um, the, the article we'll link to uh, comes from Folio Mag, um, and basically the headline is the original evangelist for B2B content analytics. Do you do you know Howard Rausch? I don't. Yeah, so he wrote a book. Um, and the book is called Get Serious About Editorial Management. And I, so I read this article and it basically goes through this book and it, it's a review of the book, basically. And the review of the book talks about it's really his philosophy over working a long time, basically, as an editorial manager for different B2B types of publications. And the book is really just his lessons on learning of what the really the nuts and bolts of editorial management are. I download, I immediately went and got the book and I started reading it. And I'm just in the beginning. So I just got it the other because it's not available on Kindle, sadly. It's only available on, on paper. So it took me a little bit to get it. But I just started reading it. And I just want to read you some of the, 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 the chapters here, right? So the first is using data to enhance your editorial performance. And that's the part that I've started in on, which is just the first chapter there in the introduction. And it's just basically, how do you start to create quality content and use data to help you understand how your your editorial strategies are, are working? Um, the other ones are things like 12 common management errors when you're hiring uh, editorial managers, when you're hiring writers, how to commit to in-house training for your editors, for your writers, for your, for your media people, quantitative factors to improve your staff reviews, 14 causes of editorial burnout, fixing your editorial marketing arsenal, your technology, how to assess editorial superiority, compete with the authority of the people in your space, how to get the most out of trade shows. How to, I mean, it's, it's, like a, it's literally like an owner's manual for today's 
editorial manager in a content organization within a B2B organization. Just a fantastic book so far. And so I'm going to, I haven't finished it yet. So he may, he may halfway through say something very horrible that makes me disagree, (laughs) but, but so far so good. It just seems like a really great book. So I'm going to recommend it. All right. You got to let me know because I'm probably next up to read that. So yeah, yeah. That, that's very, very good. Anyway, so those are my two raves this week. Thank you very much. Yeah. I have a quick rave and then a commentary. Um, I just want to send a shout out to our good friend Robert Sachs. Uh, for those of you that are subscribed to Bosacks, Bosacks.com, B-O-S-A-C-K-S.com. He had an email. Uh, he sends out an email newsletter basically three a day on articles that are interesting and publishing, and and we get a lot. Which we use a lot. We use a lot. We get a lot of our stories from. And last night he sent one. He doesn't usually create his own content. It's usually somebody else's content that he shares. But this time he spoke out a little bit on what's going on in Charlottesville. It's Uh interesting read just because it's difficult for somebody with an audience that is has all types of different political beliefs and to for him to come out and say I don't care this is what I believe and we all need to do something about it. I just wanted to sh- send a shout out. I sent him an email and said thank you for doing that. It's really good if you have any kind of an audience whether you work with a brand whether you're an individual to because you're we're all dealing with these issues. And uh, sometimes you have to deal with it in different ways and I well, thought, I thought Bob and- did a great job. So. Yeah, and you and I struggle with this, right? I mean, you and I have talked about this, yes. right? Where, where you know, th- when things happen, like what happened over the weekend, it's like, do we cover it or do we not cover it? We have made a conscious choice to cover some of the things that we think that we just, you know, that hit us emotionally or hit us in a, you know, in a, in a way. And it's not that these other things that happened, you know, for example, this last weekend don't hit us in a particularly emotional way, but it... It's it 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 becomes a really difficult decision of knowing when and where to cover something like that, right? Be, you know, because look, we're just a couple of chuckleheads talking about content and marketing, and you know, as has been explained to us many times by our audience, nobody wants to hear our views on politics, and so we have avoided it. And and for right or for wrong, you know, and so it, it it's 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 not that we're not cognizant of it. Believe me, we just yeah. we've just made a choice not to not to do it. So well, the only thing that I would say is is that Charlottesville, in my opinion, has nothing to do with politics. Of course, I That's yes, where, and I yes. don't mean to equate you, the two. Well, I, I, I'm, and I'm I, not, I know I'm, you're yeah. not. I don't. I know confl- you're not. I'm not conflating those two things. Absolutely, just, and I know yeah. you're not. Uh, where you or you and I struggled was over through the election process, where we're yes. trying to deal with talking about content marketing when everybody was talking about something else. So, right. Anyways, right. I want special shout out to our friend. Yeah, Bo. nice job. Keep up the great work. My commentary is on Deadpool. Believe it or not, Woo. for those of you Deadpool fans, because it's funny you brought Deadpool. up Buddy Scalera. Buddy Scalera has written for that comic book a number of times. Uh, and my youngest son has been a Deadpool fan for quite a few years, way before the movie starring Ryan Reynolds was released. I mean, he mm-hmm. he really liked the character because uh, Deadpool, for those of you familiar with Deadpool, was a different kind of superhero and not a, a very nice <laughs> yeah. one. That. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So last week we were having a conversation about Deadpool, Deadpool because I noticed he hadn't been reading his comic books anymore. Um, and or collecting Deadpool pop figures or having anything to do with Deadpool that I could see, and he'd always collected Deadpool memorabilia. His answer was interesting to me. Uh, he says he basically said the whole situation is really frustrating him. In his words, since the movie came out and Deadpool's popularity skyrocketed, they've broadened Deadpool's appeal in the comic books and other medium. To in other media by uh, by really going more mainstream, he said uh. the new Deadpool is nicer and not anything like the original Deadpool that he fell in love with as a fan. So That's he said, "Isn't that interesting?" He says, "I can't be a fan of the new Deadpool. It's not Deadpool at all. It's something completely different." Yeah. It's, so of they, course, they jumped the shark. Yeah. So of course, I'm thinking. Well, did the writing team and strategists behind Deadpool make a conscious decision to capitalize on their new popularity? Or did this just happen naturally? And, you know, of course, thinking about you and I going into Or did they feel the pressure? Or or did they feel the pressure of them, you know, basically, you know, I wrote on this, I can't remember how long ago, where it's sort of the unintended consequences of content marketing. Sometimes you create a viral hit that pressures you. I use the example of the... uh, 
uh, you know, Dumb Ways to Die, which was a viral hit for the train company down in Australia that put it together. It was a wonderful viral video. It had a music thing to it. Yeah. Dumb ways, ways to, to die. die. You yeah. know, you can look it up on YouTube yeah. and it's it's there. But it became so viral it sort of pressured them into creating other content and marketing strategies. In other words, it was so popular it sort of drove their whole marketing strategy for a while, which is the wrong way to go about it. And it's a it's a fascinating effect, really. Well, I mean you we see that with enterprises where to gain a larger audience they they purposely broaden the content niche and mission yeah which which exactly. by the way at first it works in a lot of cases but then they slowly lose their core audience yeah which then move on to something more relevant and i saw something similar happen in the in the very exciting heating and air conditioning field years ago where the largest <laughs> the largest i know you go from deadpool to hvac that's not deadpool but yes yeah <laughs> the largest hvac event that I'd been to many times was trying to become even larger. And they decided to add in plumbers and electricians to the HVAC event, thinking it all won't go bigger. And at first, first year or two worked really well. They saw record crowds. Today, the event is a shell of its once great self with just pockets of contractors, plumbers, and uh, electricians kind of looking to find people like them and they can't do it. Um, So, I mean, the better course of action might be to do what Huffington Post did years ago, where instead of broadening their initial blog, they created separate places for different audiences and different interests. And that way, the blog never changed, and they added more more, more of different audiences instead of one big audience. So yeah. I just w- thought that example that my son had a Deadpool, it's so relevant to anyone trying to build an audience, and it's so... Um, you know, you, you get drawn in by your initial success and you want to make it broader, but you sort of have to hold back the reins. And and by the way, Deadpool, the franchise, is doing just fine. But it's interesting to see if more of the Deadpool core, core fans move away and what that will ultimately mean for it's the franchise. A really, it's a really interesting example because, you know, so just, I mean, just speaking from here in Hollywood, this is a classic problem that has plagued movie stars and writers and directors and, and for forever which is once you create something, whatever it is that you create a hit for is what you become known for. And there is a huge pressure for you to, be, to duplicate that and, and not necessarily create the content that you want to create. You know, so it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing, right, where you become, you know, you're a serious actor and then you have some random role that is an action hero and all of a sudden, you're now, you know, you're now Harrison Ford, right? I mean, Harrison Ford was not an action hero when he first started. It wasn't really until even after Star Wars that he became sort of, it was Indiana Jones, and then he became, and then all of a sudden now he's an action hero, and him trying to move into character actors and, and try and do something is just impossible for him to do now, which is something he really wanted to do. So it's a really fascinating thing when you have a core audience and you 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 create this wonderfully popular thing that gets general recognition, that gets broad recognition, and the pressure to then go that way because that's where success is, really begins to sort of, you know, how how far can you go before you sort of turn off your core, the, the audience that brung you there, right? That's you right. Know, it's a it's a it's a it's a fascinating challenge, and 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 will be a fascinating challenge for um, for content marketers, you know, just. Even to the theme of the show, which is, of course, about how to be big, right? When once you do get successful and you build that successful blog, it's uh, it's a really hard thing to to understand where to go big and when to sort of just appeal to your core audience. And I just keep getting all my examples from my kids. Yeah, so, and there you go. <laughs> well, under the mouth of babes, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we have a wonderful this old marketing uh, to talk about. Um, and this a huge hat tip here to uh, uh, Bethany Johnson. Bethany, thank you for this. Thank you for the Twitter uh, onslaught that you have been on of late, um, and uh, all the wonderful story ideas and the this old marketing. You know what? And you 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 gave me a little bit of hell for not being able to pronounce your uh, Twitter handle. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I'm I've give I give up. Right. So you're just gonna have to live with the fact that you've got a very odd Twitter handle. Beth, so. Bethany, uh, a little word of advice. We love you. Change your Twitter handle. Come on. You have the control. You have the power. Make it easy. That's Joe us. speaking. I don't How know about if like you need Bethany to change it. I just Johnson. don't want to try and mispronounce it. Well, I mean, I, I don't understand. Like, I'll go to somebody, you know, I'll be, be uh, tweeting back and forth with somebody, and it's the weirdest. Like, why not just, what's wrong with your name? 
can't like I don't uh, get right. it. And like like uh, yeah. like fiddle de gibbert forty seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go register fiddle de gibbert forty seven. <laughs> That'll be my new Twitter handle that's is it. at fiddle de gibbert forty. I think that's too many characters, but it's so great. Fiddle gibbert dot com. <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on to our this bar. So, thank you, Bethany. Really, really appreciate it. Um, the uh, the shout out there. Just if you want to find Bethany on Twitter, just search Bethany Johnson and look for the weirdest Twitter handle, and you'll find there her. You um, she was very kind to send this over and keep sending them over, Bethany. This is J. Walter Thompson. So, um, Joe, if you haven't noticed, I have been on um, on uh, on a little bit of a case lately of some of the bigger ad agencies oh, i and, haven't uh, noticed no of I, course, you yeah. no, not yeah, at all yes. um but i did want to point out that jay walter thompson is certainly this is the blue chip of all blue chip big madison avenue agencies this is one of the agencies that when i was growing up i wanted to work for in the worst way um they were you know they they are the i mean from you know, if you go, if you watch the series Mad Men, they pay homage to to J. Walter Thompson, the agency. They were one of the very first out there um, in 1868. Um, a guy by the name of uh, 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 hired this guy J. Carlton. Um, I can't remember his uh, his first name, but Mister Carlton hired this guy James Walter Thompson as a bookkeeper. Um, and eventually he found that this, uh, this, the, the talent that he really had was going out and becoming the agent of these publications and getting them to put in advertising. And so he then basically uh, began to come up through the business. Um, he was a Marine, by the way, and, and came up through the business. And basically, J. Walter Thompson became the very first American uh, ad agency to expand internationally. Um, and they had J. Walter Thompson London in 1899. They created agencies in Egypt and South Africa and across Asia. Um, they were one of the very first agencies to employ writers and artists that create uh, their advertisements that were considered like art. Um, they were one of the first to hire women as copywriters. Um, they have been around forever. They've got, you know, they've done work for Kraft and they've done work for Toys R Us and for De Beers Diamonds. And they were the ones who came up with a diamond is forever. And I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. And just, I mean, just the, the amount of history that J. Walter Thompson um, has is, is huge. One of the things that they created in the very early days of the agency, this is going back to the early 1900s, from this ran for 10 years, from 1901 through 1911, uh, was what they called their Red Book and Blue Book. And the one we'll pick on here a little bit and, and link to uh, in the show notes here is their Blue Book. And their Blue Book was a really fascinating thing. They produced it every single year. And basically, the front half of the book was how why advertising why you should do at you know if you're a business and they would send it to all these businesses this is why you should be thinking about doing advertising and they were like how to create advertising and how you should think about buying media and how you should um, create ads and here's what a good ad layout looks like basically teaching marketing people at the time or business owners really at the time because this is really pre-marketing department of how they would actually handle the thing of advertising. That was the first half of the book. Then the second half of the book, and this is like a 200, 300-page book, mind you. The second half of the book was every publication in the United States listed with their circulation, with their, how many people they read, with the demographics of that circulation, and with the ad rates of every, of every publication out there. I mean, can you imagine that today? Oh, my God. Yeah. An ad agency sending out a book that basically detailed every major website, their ad rates their you know their circulation their audience their demographics and basically putting together a resource like this for media buyers who could do this and they basically published this for 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 10 years and would send it to all their businesses basically promoting the whole concept of advertising out there into the world and really setting themselves aside as a thought leader in the way that you bought media and bought media in these uh, in, in these publications just a fantastic example of this old marketing and we'll link to what we'll link to in the show notes is just a fascinating it's it's actually the you can read it that so in archive.org has one of the blue books where you can go page by page and actually read the the whole book it's 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 really just wonderful that's what the internet was created for that kind yeah. of stuff yeah 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 not uh, not twitter handles yeah like <laughs> so, so what do you want well, bethany's you gonna week? yell at us bethany's yeah. gonna yell at oh, us oh bethany we right love now. you we love you uh what's, we kid uh, what because we love yeah what do you got going on this week 
I am, hi, dude, I am so heads down. I am, I'm a little behind on getting my workshop done. So I need to finish that. Um, you know, I care a lot about slide design. So I'm, I'm oh, in yes. the midst of designing slides and figuring it out and rewriting and writing and rewriting. And so I, I really need to put a lot of, I, I need to put my heads down and just spend time in PowerPoint and writing um, because it's, uh, it's coming down to the wire and I need to be, I need to be ready for a content marketing world. I, I'm actually, I have my, my last trip before content marketing world. I'm going down to my, my, see my friends at the American marketing association in Tampa Bay. Oh, wow. So, which, you know, it's always beautiful to go down to Florida in August. So I'm very excited. <laughs> no, I love it. It's going to be fine. So I'm doing Humid. a little, little speech, Humid. a little, little uh, pre-killing marketing release. Talk about uh, content first business model. So I'm looking forward to that this week. And probably I see the good... smog is why you have such beautiful sunsets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably see my good friend Bernie Borges down there too. So yeah, of course. Be, yeah. That'll be fun. And uh, and that's it. And like you, I mean, we got a lot to do in the next three yeah. weeks. So it's, it will we be busy. So. Busy, busy, busy. So let's get busy. And that is it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 196, can you imagine that? 196? We basically got four more episodes till we get to 200 episodes. Won't you please leave us a kind review on iTunes? We love the kind reviews. None of the snarky reviews. If you if you want to leave a snarky review, I've got I've, there's all sorts of other podcasts I can recommend for snarky reviews. We want the kind reviews. But if you haven't yet, also consider subscribing, won't you, on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up about the this old marketing on the Twitter um, with your very common and easy to pronounce uh, Twitter name. If you do that, if you do any of that, we'd love to thank you for that. And of course, all the story ideas. We need all the stories. Hashtag us up at this old marketing marketing on Twitter. We love all of that. Or if you don't like the Twitter, or if you have a mispronounceable Twitter handle, you can also send an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night, and of course, in all their replete technicolor glory on thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.